Have you ever watched a movie, and some of y'all might be thinking, man, you make a lot of movie references. I'm, pretty big, I'm a pretty big movie buff. I'll just let you know. Have you ever watched a movie, and at the end of the movie, it changes the entire movie, where you have to go back and rewatch it? You ever seen The Sixth Sense? I'm not going to ruin it for you. You ever seen The Sixth Sense? The Sixth Sense is one of those movies where you see the whole movie, and at the end of the movie, you're like, what just happened? Uh, for me, one of my favorite movies right now, uh, it's been around for a couple years now, I tell everybody, hey, you've got to watch it, you've got to watch it. There's two of them. They're both by Christopher Nolan. Uh, Inception is one of those. You've never seen Inception. It's about dreams, kind of weird, kind of sci-fi out there. But you watch the end of the movie, and you go back and say, was any of it real? Uh, you know, was any of it real? Like, it makes you question reality in the self, because was the dreidel spinning down here, or was it not spinning? We don't know. Uh, we don't know, right? And then there's movies like Interstellar, where Interstellar is about time travel, about black holes, about all this crazy sci-fi stuff that I'm really big fan of. And, and you, once again, at the end of the movie, you're sitting there and you're like, I just spent two and a half hours watching this beautiful thing that we call cinema, baby. And I watched it. And at the end of the movie, you go back and you're like, it changes everything because the ending draws your attention to things you overlooked during the entire course of the movie that you should have been catching if you'd known the end of the story. So when you watch it the second time, you're picking up on details. When you watch it the third time, you're like, man, I missed that the second time. And when you watch it like 15 times, I firmly believe you could pick up on 15 different things you miss. Why? Because the ending changes the very beginning, the middle, and the end all comes together because the information revealed at last makes everything else before it come together. And what Jesus is in the Gospels is what all those movies have at the punchline of the end of every film. Jesus is the character, the central person that makes up the story of the Bible. Jesus is the one who ties every string together. Jesus is the one who it is all about. Jesus is what it's all about. It's either Jesus or it's nothing, ladies and gentlemen. It's either Jesus or it's nothing. Because I want you to understand here, I want to ask you this question. Before you answer, I want you to really mow it over in your head and ask yourself, do I live like this and do I really believe this? Is the gospel inclusive or exclusive? Is the gospel inclusive or exclusive? Now, what do I mean by those statements? Those are kind of bigger words. Let me walk you through what I mean by that. Is the gospel gospel inclusive or is it exclusive? Inclusive would mean that, hey, guess what? The gospel is that everybody is going to get saved. That everybody is going to go to heaven. It doesn't matter if you worship Allah. It doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist. It doesn't matter if you're Hindu. It doesn't matter what you believe in as a whole. If you believe in a God, if you believe there is a God, then you are covered. Then you are going to heaven to spend eternity with God. And there are a lot of people in our culture who they believe that. There are a lot of people, I promise you, if I went around Livingston and Marshall County and asked every person, do you believe there is a God? What would I hear? Yes. I believe there is a God. I believe God exists. I believe there is a higher power. I believe in the Lord Almighty. They would say statements like this. But the next question tells you everything you need to know about them. Do you believe in the God of the Bible? Because to believe in a God, to believe there is a God, to believe that there is a God out there is not the same thing as the God of the Bible. It's not the same thing. Because I would beg to differ that every person is okay with there being a God as long as they can determine what that God is like. As long as the God that we are talking about fits their definition instead of having a God who makes his own definitions. Because at the end of the day, what Jesus says here in in John's Gospel, chapter 14, these are crazy statements. These are loaded statements. Look at this. He's about to go die. He's literally about to go have Passover with them. These are some of his last words, truths that he's exchanging with them. And what does he tell them? He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
That's a massive statement. Because what Jesus is doing in one fell swoop of a conversation with these men is he's elevating himself to saying, I am God. I'm Yahweh. I'm the one who was there in the beginning with God himself. I am with the Father. I am the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are all three. It's the same amount of God. Can we wrap our minds around that? He's telling them this to encourage them. He's telling them this why? Because he's fixing to leave. He's telling them this because every hope and dream they put in him is fixing to be shattered on the rocks of Calvary. Why? Because this man is fixing to go and die. And what does he do? He encourages them saying, guess what though? The hope you put in me is a good hope. Why? Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. These are definite articles. Look at me. These are statements where he is claiming all authority and he automatically says what I am. That statement to me and you are thinking, oh, yeah, he, he is Jesus. I am Jesus, right? But you don't ever walk into your room and say, I am Donnie. I would think he was crazy, right? Like if Mike introduced himself, I am Mike. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, no, we don't say that. He said, Mike, you know, nice to meet you. We don't say I am statements, right? But for the Jew hearing this, for these disciples hearing this, these are, Jewish ears are tingling when they hear that statement. Why? Because what did God reveal himself? What did God give the Israel people that he never gave anybody in history before? He gave them his very name. I am will be with you. God will be with you. When you go and tell the... And here's what's amazing about that. For Moses, that was enough to go to the most powerful man on the planet and say, let my people go, the Lord says. Because he had God's name. He knew who he was dealing with. Because Jesus automatically says, I am the way. Look what it says, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't say, I am a way. It doesn't say, I'm a multiple choice. No, Jesus makes a inclusive, I mean, an exclusive statement here. I am the only way to get to the Father. I am the only way to get back in relationship with the true and living God. I am it. Guys, look at me. It is not a world where everybody's going to heaven and everybody takes different paths up the mountain and we all reach the top of the mountain. Look at me very carefully here. It's either people are have believed in and are following Jesus and they're going to get there because the grace alone, by faith alone, and Christ alone, or they're not getting there. There is no other name under heaven which men are saved but Jesus. Now you can nod your head, but do we live like this? Because if we really believe this, it would drastically change our lives. Because we assume everyone is going to get there. I've never been to a funeral where somebody wasn't going to heaven. Just rack your brain right now. You ever been to a funeral where they knew without a shadow of a doubt, he's not there? Now, I'm not saying we should do that. Like, you stand up and be like, they're in hell. I'm not saying we should do things like that, but do understand me when I say these statements. We say we believe in an exclusive gospel, but we live like we believe in an inclusive gospel. We live like everybody's included. Everybody's our brother and sister. Everybody's part of our family. When the truth is, there is only one way the person and the man of Jesus Christ. There is only one way to get to God. Only one way. Not multiple choice, not multiple ways. And you might say, well, my way and your way are the same way. We're looking at things differently. No, there is only one way. Only one way. And God determines that way. Why? Because God is the one who controls it all. It's his way. So when we say statements like that, that the gospel can it be inclusive and exclusive, let me promise you, the gospel is exclusive, but also the gospel is inclusive. Whoa, Pastor Nick, you just said, what are you flipping words with me now? What do you mean by that? The gospel is exclusive, where the only way to get to Jesus is through him. But I love the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is also 
inclusive. What does Jesus say? Let all who will come to me. Let everybody. Let everybody come to me. Guys, it doesn't matter your race. That's good news, amen. Anybody, anybody Gentile here? I'm a Gentile. You're a Gentile. You better thank God. The gospel is in, inclusive, right? It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. The ground at Calvary is level. Is level. Where everybody is included if they will submit to the way. And there's not hierarchy. It's not like, well, if you're born in America, you have a high, you're higher in the kingdom of God. Let me promise you, every sinner on the face of the globe is on the same scale. Everybody's in need of God's grace. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're doing ungodly things like selling meth and selling your body, or if you've been in church your whole entire life. The same grace it takes to save that sinner is the same grace it takes to save this sinner. Because they're both far from God. Because that's good news. That the gospel is exclusive to those who just submit to Christ and follow Christ and believe in what Christ has said. And also, it's also inclusive. Why? Because everybody is welcomed into the family of God if they will follow Jesus and believe in Jesus. If they will believe in the Son of God. Pastor Nick, how can you say these things? How can you make things, how can you make it seem like the Bible is not about us? Because let me tell you, that's my second point. It's a big no-brainer here, but it's a big second point. The Bible is not about us, it's about Jesus. Now you can say that, it's easy to say, it's easy to say, but you know how I know we don't live like it? The first thing on our mind when we're reading the Bible, what can I get out of this instead of what does God say about himself? We run to application. Now should we run to application? Absolutely. But we should also ask ourselves, what does this say about God? Because you know what it says at Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, man. It doesn't say that. In the beginning, Adam. It doesn't say that. It says, in the beginning, God. You know what it says on the last page? God. From front to, to the end, it's all about God. You might think, well, I've heard people say, you know, it's about us. Let me, let me promise you, it's not about you. It's not about me. It is about an awesome God an almighty God who is on a rescue mission to redeem what we have broken. But everything about the whole entire story is about Jesus from the front to the end of it. Everything is about Jesus. You might say, well, how, how can you even say that? Because I love, what, I love what Jesus does after the resurrection. Look what happens in Luke chapter 24. He's on the road to Emmaus. There's two disciples talking. They're very sad because Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has been buried. And they believe he's dead. And they're walking down this road on the road to Emmaus, and he talks to them, and they're like, Have you, are you the only one in Jerusalem who has not heard what has happened here today? That this man named Jesus, the one who we placed our hope in, he is dead. And yet Jesus is walking with them, right? Resurrected Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus who is fully, fully showing glory and radiating in a sense. Look what happens there. He said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scripture, the things concerning himself. Look, I want to read that to you again. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Guys, that, what is Christ saying there? If you think the only time Jesus shows up is in, the, is in the nativity story, if you think that's the first time Jesus ever has a mark on human history, then you haven't read the Bible. 
Because I promise you, he is just as evident in the scriptures if you pay attention. Why? Because when he shows up, it gives us whole clarity to see where he's been in the first place. And he's been there all along. He's been there all along. I love what Paul says about this. Paul picks up on this. He says, well, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 3. For I delivered to you as the first importance of what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according with the Scriptures. The very first thing Paul says, the, the, the most important thing about our faith is Christ died for us. Is Christ died for us? And how do we know Christ died for us? Because the Scriptures. Because the Scriptures. At the end of the day, guys, the proven thing, that the only reason why we know about God is because of the Scriptures. Now there is obviously, I'm going to preach about this next week, there's obviously general revelation, there's special revelation, which we'll talk all about that next week. But let me promise you, the main medium which God chooses to communicate is through His Word. It's through His Word. And that every word in this Every story, every mention points to Christ. Pastor Nick, I need more than that. I'll prove it to you. I like, I'll, I'll give you an oldie and a goodie. Amen. You know, are y'all good with that? I'll give you an old dead guy, and I'll give you a new dead guy. Is that okay? Let me tell you, you know what I love about dead people? You can't ruin their ministry because they're dead. You know what I'm saying? Like modern day guys, you, they're good for a while, then they do something stupid, and you're like, I don't know if we can trust them anymore. But dead guys who've been dead a long time, their ministry is solid. Why? Because you can't touch it. One of those dudes, you probably heard his name for John Calvin, right? You ever heard that name before? You should know that name, if you did not know that name. John Calvin says this. He's, it's a little bit of old English, so pay attention here, but it's really, really good. Therefore, when you hear the gospel presenting you Jesus Christ, in whom all the promises and gifts of God have been accomplished, remember this. He, Christ, is Isaac, the beloved son of the Father, who was offered as a sacrifice, but nevertheless did not succumb to the power of death. He is Jacob, the watchful shepherd, who in such great care for the sheep which he guards. He is the good and compassionate brother Joseph, who in his glory was not ashamed to acknowledge his brothers, however lowly and abject their condition. He is the great and sacrificer Bishop Melchizedek, who offered as an eternal sacrifice once for all. He is the sovereign lawgiver Moses, writing the law in the tablets of their hearts by his spirit. He is the faithful captain and guide Joshua to lead us to the promised land. He is the virtuous and noble king David, bringing by his hand all the rebellious power to subjection. He is the magnificent and triumphant King Solomon, governing his kingdom in peace and prosperity. He is the strong and powerful Samson, who by death has overwhelmed all his enemies. Do you see? Every character that is in the Old Testament is a shadow. It's pointing us to a goalpost sign, saying it's about Christ. It's about Christ. To quote Matt Chandler here, I, I love this because it's a great clip. He goes to a church that doesn't have great theological teaching, and he looks at him and he says, David and Goliath, it's not about you. You're not David. Look at me here. You're not David. You're the guy in the back booing David and saying, he's going to die. That's who you are. Because who is David saying, I've killed giants. You ran from giants. It is Christ who is the picture of David. It is Christ who is the weak and the feeble who stands before the great enemy of death. It is Christ who slays the enemy of death and then hunts down the keys of hell like David hunts down the brothers of Goliath. It is Christ who is shown in glory in every story. Like he said, it's all about Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Christ. I gave you an oldie, I'll give you a goodie, amen. 
I'll give you a goodie. Tim Keller says it like this. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who through innocently slain, his blood now cries out for our condemnation but for acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave the comfortable and familiar to go into the void not knowing what he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not offered up by his father on the mount but was truly sacrificed for us. And when the God said to Abraham, now I know that you love me because you will not withhold your son, your only son whom you love. Now we can look at God. Look at, listen to this powerful theology. Now we can look at God taking his son up from the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love for us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve so that we, like Jacob, only receive wounds of grace to make us walk and discipline us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betray him and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and mediates from the new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job who truly innocent suffered who intercedes for us and saves his stupid friends. I'm a stupid friend, amen. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory though they never lifted a stone to accomplish in themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost his ultimate and heavenly one who didn't risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we may brought in. Jesus is the rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain that the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible isn't really about you at all. Do you see, church? But in American Christianity, we're reading the text thinking it's about us, it's about us, it's about us. I'm David, I'm Solomon, I'm Samson. No, promise you it's about Christ. It's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus. But when we read the text, we automatically think it's about me. It's about me. What a gift to know that the story's not about you. Because you know what you do if the story was about you? You'd flub it up. You'd mess it up. You know, I know you'd mess up because you mess up everything. How do I know? I'm a witness to my own life being messed up. Messed up, amen? You wouldn't mess it up. The only thing you bring to salvation is the sin that required it. Look at me here. The only thing you bring is the sin that required salvation. That's it. You might say, well, if I work hard enough, I can gain it. You can't. If you had a thousand years, you couldn't work it off. You had a mil- if you had eternity to work it off, you still would not even feel even the rim of the cup it would take to satisfy the wrath and justice of God. Because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. They don't say in the Revelation, oh, if any, is anyone worthy? And here you come. No, say there's nobody worthy in heaven or on earth. There's nobody worthy. And then I love what they say in Revelation, behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb comes. Who is worthy? He is worthy. So my question to you, ladies and gentlemen, as I begin to wrap up, which means I've got 20 more minutes to explain some good stuff to you, amen? What Jesus will we believe in? Look at me here very carefully. What Jesus will we believe in? Will we believe in the cultural Jesus or will we believe in the, in the, the biblical Jesus? What do I mean by cultural Jesus? Every time I make fun of this, y'all know it's coming, amen? Cultural Jesus is 
Caucasian. Cultural Jesus has long flowing blonde locks. Cultural Jesus is blue-eyed and paler than your granny's napkins. Amen. That's cultural Jesus. Cultural Jesus is always looking like Obi-Wan Kenobi getting ready to pull a lightsaber out and have a duel. Amen. Cultural Jesus is the Jesus who is, he's okay being my friend, and I'm okay him being my friend, but at the end of the day, I will treat him as an advisor and not as a Lord. Cultural Jesus is, I love Jesus, but I do not like his people. Cultural Jesus is, he gets us. And at the end of the day, cultural Jesus is about me and us as a culture taking the narrative of Scripture, throwing it away and saying, I will make Jesus to look like my image instead of remembering we are made in God's image. There's a big difference there. We do not make God in our image. No, we were made in God's image. Very big difference there. Now, what do I mean by this? Because I want you to understand there are two massive ditches that I think many of us fall in. And some of you might even be in one of these ditches this morning. So I want you to pay attention here. Because look what the text tells us in John 3, 16. You know, I love, everybody loves John 3, 16, but we forget about 17 and 18. I've never heard somebody say, my favorite Bible verse, John 3, 17, baby. <laughs> never heard somebody say that. We love 16, we don't like 17 and 18. We don't like it, right? We love Jesus when we like him, but we don't like him when we don't love what he's saying. Because look what it says here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's great. Praise God. Amen. Those who believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. How do you get eternal life? You've got to believe in Jesus. But look what he also says. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. What is Jesus getting at here when he's speaking to Nicodemus? He's saying, listen, if you don't trust me to be who I say I am, if you don't take my word to the bank, if you're not building everything in your life around me as your king and as your Lord and me and truly believing it, not only with your mental ascent, but with a heart ascent, with even a full being ascent, putting everything you've got on Christ, and it's all in on Jesus. Then what does he say? He says, you're condemned already. Because you're not trusting in my name. To trust in someone's name in that culture, I mean, guess what? You had their name on it. You had their word on it. It means you believed everything they were going to do. You had their handshake. You could trust it. So the enemy of the gospel is twofold, if you think about it. The enemy of the gospel, the enemy of this belief is twofold. You know the first one we talk about quite often. If you were to ask me, it really got popular around the... the 70s and 80s and early 90s, this was a massive big debate among churches and it still has deep, deep roots in many of you. You've probably heard the term before called legalism. Legalism is this belief that if I want to get God's blessing, if I want God to love me more, I've got to obey God. Because legalism views God as an angry father who is purposely withholding blessing from you until you obey Him. That's what legalism does. Legalism says if you work harder, God will bless you more. And God is withholding blessing because he's an angry dad. That's not the father we see in the prodigal son story. No, we see a father who is gracious to the obedient and gracious to the disobedient. Amen? You better praise God. That's not our God, right? Our God is not a wicked father. Our God is what? A good, good father. Our God is a great father. Why? Because he gives gifts even to people who don't deserve gifts. 
I love what Jesus says about it. He says, who among you, when your son asks for fish, you give him a scorpion? He says, if you wicked earthly dads know how to be good to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to be good to you? But legalism is ingrained in us because we think automatically that we can work our way back into Eden. When the way is shut, the door is blocked. And how do I know the door is blocked? Because God blocked it himself. He says, you cannot work your way to me. Because the moment we stand before a holy God, nothing we've ever done amounts to anything. Because the problem is, we have such a low view of God's holiness that we have lowered the bar, thinking that if I keep working and working, I can get up on God's level. Look at me, you can't get on God's level. I can't get on God's level. Nobody can get on God's level. It says, all have fallen short. Fallen short of the glory of God. We act like getting to heaven is like, like jumping a creek bed. Let me promise you, it's not like jumping a creek bed. It's like jumping the Grand Canyon. It's an impossible task. Oh, oh, how the mountain that I could not climb. Oh, how a gulf I could not jump. The reality of it is we have bought into this pit of legalism. And that's religious people. Religious people love the rules, love regulation, love if I just do good, God will be good to me. That's one big ditch. The other big ditch, I think many people, maybe some of you, have been in there too. I've been there before. Fancy $10 word here, but I'm going to simplify the best I can. Antinomianism. Oh boy, that's a word right there, ain't it? Y'all think Pastor Nick's poking tongues today. Antinomianism. What does it mean? It means this cheap grace. What do I mean by cheap grace? It means God loves me so much. God loves me so much that I don't have to do anything God says because He just loves me so much. And I can, I can do what I want to do. Because if you really think about it, both sides of the ditch are thinking God's withholding something. Pastor Nick, what do you mean? On one side of the ditch, with legalism, we think God is withholding blessing. God is withholding His blessing from us. So we've got to work to get His blessing. We've got to work to unlock the floodgates of blessing. That's not gospel accurate. The other ditch is God is withholding truth from us. I can't trust what God says, so I'm not going to obey Him because I'm going to make my own truth because God is withholding the truth from me. And my feelings are my God, and I can determine what's real because God's grace is so good that I don't have to obey anything He says. Both people are casting God in a light that is not true of Him. Both people are, not, are casting God in a light that is not true. What is the true gospel, Pastor? How can I get out of the ditch of legalism and avoid the ditch of antinomianism? You could say it's best friend God versus judge and executor God. Because once again, God is a righteous judge. Don't get me wrong, that's true. Is God our friend and he's a friend of sinners? Absolutely true. But we cannot push God all the way in one category. You can't do it. You can't shove God all the way to one max and say, well, God is that. No, you've got to get the full characteristics of who God is. The full character of this God we're talking about. To fully get this, we, once again, I'm, I'm taking you back to things you've heard for several months now to, get to refresh your memory. You've got to stick to what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? We are saved by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. Listen to me, that's very basic, but I'm telling you, that's how simple it is, by faith alone. So we're not saved by our good works plus faith. No, we're saved by faith. We're saved by faith. And how are we saved by faith? Not because we earned it, because God's grace gives it to us. Do you understand that the only way you can even come to God is because God gives you grace to draw, him to, draw you to Him. So God draws you by His grace. 
God empowers you by His grace. It's by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. Guys, look at me. There's not a pope on the planet that can save you. There's not a church that can save you. There's not a list you could check that'll save you. No, there's a man named Christ who will save you. It's by faith alone, by grace alone, and Christ alone. But look at me here. If you don't, you don't pay attention, you're going to miss everything. Because you'll slide into the one over here saying, well, God's my best friend, I don't have to obey him. Faith alone, by grace alone, and Christ alone is never alone. Look at me here. Faith alone and grace alone and Christ alone, those three things are never alone by themselves. They always have, guess what? Faith is active. Faith is active. If we say we believe something, we will live like it's true. If I say I believe God is the Savior of the world and I believe His gospel to be true, I will live like it's true. Because we truly understand the debt that has been paid. The debt that's been paid. I'll give you an example of this. The best way to describe to you is take a biblical story and show you what I'm talking about. In Mark chapter 4, I believe it is, is when Jesus goes to, res- he goes to rescue the demoniac. Y'all remember this? The demoniac was wandering among the tombs. Y'all remember this? He was half naked. He was clawing and scratching. They put him in chains and bound him to the... Y'all remember this from the graveyard? And what does Jesus do? Jesus shows up. And Jesus casts out the legion of demons. Y'all remember? Y'all follow me? And the pigs, guess what, ran off the cliff. Y'all remember this? And the demoniac was, he was set free. He was set free. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus, the Bible says, in his right mind, and he was clothed. And when that man had been set free, what did he want to do? He said, I want to follow you. You might say, yeah, Patrick, it's about freedom. It's about us getting free of everything in our lives. No, 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 listen to me. You me tell you what the gospel is. Imagine for a second that Jesus had swapped places with the man. Imagine for a second that Jesus had put on the chains. Imagine if Jesus had put on the filth. Imagine if Jesus had swapped places with the man, and the man would look at him and say, you can't do this, you don't understand. This is my burden. You can't just say, you've been forgiven, you've been set free. You've been set free, brother, because I have traded places with you. My freedom has now been given to you because I've paid the debt of your debt. Who in here among us, if somebody came to you and said, hey, I'm going to take your cancer. Hey, I'm going to take your, uh, I'm going to take your dementia. Hey, I'm going to take whatever it is that's eating and destroying you. I'm going to take it into myself. Who in here among us would not live our lives drastically different because of the debt that was paid? Every person. Every person would say, I will do whatever I can for this individual. I will serve them till I die. Well, because the debt they have paid. Christ did not take the physical pain you were going through. Christ did not just take all the other emotional pain. Christ took the spiritual pain you were going through and bore it on himself and set us free. And those who are free are free indeed. And you're not free to do what you want to do. You're free to serve the Lord. But look at me here. The Exodus count shows us this. The law did not come to bring them freedom. The law came after they were brought freedom. Look at the Exodus story. It didn't say God didn't say, hey, if you obey my laws, I will get you out of Pharaoh's domain. No, no, no. Christ says, what? What did God say? Because you are my people. Because I want you to serve me. Because I've paid the debt. I will ransom you from Pharaoh, bring you to the wilderness where you can serve me, and I will give you my law to show you how to serve me. But by keeping the law, it doesn't change their identity because who they are has nothing to do with the law, but has everything to do with who Christ is. 
just want you to get it. I just want you to get this. Because if you get that, boy, it changes everything. Look at me. If you can wrap your head around that, that who this Jesus is, who this biblical account of the real Jesus is, if you can wrap your minds around this man, it will change your very life. Because how do I know it will change life? Because it changes your eternity. Because we have churches full of people who lie. Pastor Nick, don't call me out. Please don't. Please don't. We lie. I'll give you an illustration I've used several years ago, and I use it every time I preach revival because it's just so good and so true. Imagine if I came in this morning and said, hey, sorry I was late, you know, 24 construction story in my life, amen. Uh, but I was on 24, and I was trying to merge it, and a semi-truck smoked my vehicle. I'm talking about the Odyssey went to Odyssey in it. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, we went to flipping and rocking and rolling. And I thank God I got an old Honda, cranked her back up, and I drove over here, and here I am. I got smoked by a semi You'd look at Pastor Nick and be like, man, he ain't got a cut on him. He lost my hair, but that's all he's lost, amen. you go out there and you look at my rig, you'd say, man, Odyssey looking good. you come in here and you'd find out two things. You'd look at me and you'd say, you're a liar. You're a liar because you said you got hit by a semi and your body and your life doesn't have a mark on it. We come in here week after week and say we have a relationship with the creator of the universe and our life doesn't have a mark on it. Somebody's lying. Somebody is not a whole, somebody's not telling the truth. And it's not the, it's not the Lord, because He doesn't lie. It is us. Because relationships change people. And when you have one relationship, it changes other relationships. When I got married, my relationship with every woman on the face of the planet unanimously changed. As soon as I put this ring on my finger, every relationship I had changed. And there were some people that didn't like that. I'm going to be straight up honest with you. They got took down a lot, Right? Because as soon as I got married, they did, it changed every relationship. When you become a Christian, look at me, it changes every relationship. Now I can't go to work and just cheat off the man and you know, stick it to the boss and not do my job. No, I'm working for Christ now. Do you see what I'm saying? Now I don't have the privilege of doing what I want to do with my body. Why? Because I have been bought with a price. My body is not my own. But I've been bought with the price. Because I've been set free. Patrick, why is it so hard then? Why is it so difficult? Because look, the same problem the Israelites has is the same problem we have. We've been set free from the power of sin, but we still live with the presence of sin. You know what's easy for God? Let, let me look, look. Everything's easy for God. I'm using this high, like, figurative talk here. Everything's easy for God. Don't we think some things are hard, some things are not? They're not. But I'm using this to show you something. The easy part was getting Israel out of Egypt. The hard part was getting Egypt out of Israel. Look at me. The easy part is believing in Christ. That's the easy part. The hard part is submitting to Christ. It's coming underneath His Lordship. It's submitting our very lives and believing and showing it in faith that I believe what you're saying is true. That's hard. Because we've been set free from the power of sin. We are still living in the presence of sin. That's hard. Paul says like this, I, do, I know what I should do, but I don't do it. Because you know what happens in that moment? We've, we quit believing the gospel. Look at me very carefully, and I'm wrapping this up. I'm about done, I promise. You know why we steal? Because we feel like God's withholding goodness from us. You're thinking God's not a good father when he is. You know why we lie? We're trying to make ourselves look better when we've already been accepted for who we are in Christ. 
Every sin you do breaks the first commandment before it gets to the last nine. You put somebody else on the throne, so that's my God. And nine times out of ten, look at me, it's yourself that's on the throne. You make yourself God, and you break every other commandment. Why? Because you've broken the first one. We have to remember, somebody's got to be on the throne. It ain't going to be, it ain't us either. It's got to be Christ. And if it's not Christ, you know what you do? You'll stick your hobbies up there. You'll stick your kids up there. You'll stick your spouse up there. And every Savior you've ever made has disappointed you. Haven't they? Let me tell you who's, made, who's hurt you the most in your entire life. Look at me. Some of you thinking, my daddy. It ain't your daddy. Some of you, my, it's my mama. It ain't your mama. You know the person who's hurt you more than anybody? It's yourself. And the person Christ came to redeem you from, he came to save you from yourself. Praise God. Praise God, amen. He came to save you from your very self. Give you a new name and a new identity. Talk about witness protection. We're in here in witness protection, baby. But we should live differently, ladies and gentlemen. If we really believe this stuff, I'm talking about You say, Pastor, you're all excited because I, I know this man. Look at me. I know this brother. And I want you to know him. Because when you do, it keeps you up in the middle of the night just thinking about him. Just mowing your head over how good he is. Because that's what Christ has done in my life. Because I haven't worked to earn it. He's just given it. Look at me. And I don't have so much grace in my life that I'm foolish enough to think that I don't need to obey him. Why? Because grace should humble us, but it should raise us as well. But it should be a balancing of the two. Our sin humbles us, our grace uplifts us, but we should be one extreme or the other extreme. Because you've got ditches on both sides. You've got to remember, church, we believe in Jesus. And what Jesus do we believe in? We believe the one who always has been and yet always will be. We believe in he who remains, amen. We believe in the one who, though he was born through a virgin, he's always existed. We believe in the one who lived a perfect life. He kept every law. Can you fathom Jesus didn't cheat in Hebrew? I would have cheated the first day. Hey, hey, Ezekiel, put your shoulder down. At the end of the day, Jesus kept every letter of the law. Perfect T, cross, perfect I, daughter. He kept every commandment. He never had a lustful thought. Can you fathom that, men? Let me get, now we're in 2023, 2024. Women, can you fathom that? He never, ever had said a, took the Lord's name in vain. He never cheated on his taxes. He kept every letter of the law perfect. And what did this world do? They killed him for it. And he died the death that me and you deserve, absorbing the wrath of God to make a way for us to get through. But he didn't stay dead. That's not the gospel. How do we know the sacrifice Christ made was enough? Because the resurrection proves it. The resurrection proves the debt's been paid. The debt's been paid. So every time I live in my sin, I'm going back to the cross and pulling Jesus down and saying, it's not enough. But when I'm living in the gospel, if I'm preaching the gospel to myself, if I'm reminding myself of this truth, then what should gradually happen is, you never become sinless. But let me tell you something that should happen over the course of your life. You should sin less. Look at me here. You don't become sinless, but you should be sinning less. Because you're living out the gospel. You're living out, I am who I am in Christ. 
I am who I am because of Christ. I am going where I'm going because of Christ. Because the Bible is not about you. The Bible is not about me. The Bible is about Jesus. If that Jesus is real, and if we believe in that Jesus, then shouldn't this Jesus change our lives? Because if God can take care of your soul, I think he could take care of whatever else is going on in your life. If I can trust him with this, my soul, I think I can trust him with my family. I don't know about you, but he's got me good. He's done good so far. We act like God's a teenager with car keys for the very first time. He's like grandma driving to church with banana pudding in the back. He ain't going to lead you, lead you astray. Do we believe this? And if we as a church believe this, why aren't we living like it? Because a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Why are we hiding it? Let's live it and act like we believe it because it's true. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, look what it says there, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. Won't you come? Come to this Jesus. Come pay him homage. Come lay your life down. And maybe you're here and you need to get saved. Won't you come? Won't you come? Every head to bow.